0: Ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper? Those are blind dates with books, where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author. It's a mystery, and it's a great way to discover new books you might never have picked up for yourself. At Book Riot, we're giving away five blind dates with books. Executive editor Amanda Nelson will take a trip to her local indie in Richmond called Chop Suey and pick five books from their shelves to mail to five random winners. To enter to win your own blind date with a book, go to bookriot.com slash blind date and sign up for our upcoming Read This Book newsletter, where we will send you a single solitary book recommendation once per week. That's bookriot.com slash blind date to enter, or go see if your local indie participates with their own blind date shelves.
1: and welcome to episode 17 of Kidlet These Days, a book riot podcast. Kidlet These Days is your kidlet connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I'm Karina Yan Glazer alongside Matthew Winner, and we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on October 24th, 2019. Hey, Matthew!
0: <laughs> hey, Karina. Hello.
1: So I had a really great day because I decided to take the day off and get on a bus to Pennsylvania and visit my friend Victoria Jameson. And when she had just finished submitting um, her newest graphic novel to her editor. Um, She just finished it. And it's coming out in April 2020. And so she was... She had some free time and I needed a day off. We both have been working so hard lately. And we just hung out. We ate lunch. We chatted. We played with her son. It was just a really nice afternoon. And...
0: You talked about how Roller Girl is the greatest (laughs) comic In all time. (laughs) And how much I love her. Did you... It, I, I saw i think it was this week that they did the cover reveal for this upcoming graphic novel.
1: yes, penguin had um had put the cover out, which is really beautiful um yeah, so she cool. so she worked with a co-author this time, and it's uh non well, it's sort of a graphic novel based on real life, so but she was saying today that most of it is true based on um, sort of her conversations with this man who was a refugee. So I think it's we'll going to be to sure such to it a powerful. Yeah, it'll be such a powerful story, I think.
0: That's great. Yeah. So listeners, bookriot.com slash listen. And then find this episode, episode 17 of Kid Lit These Days. We'll make sure we link to that book and anything else that we mention. uh, Because I know that that's been one, Karina, that you've been talking about for a little while. Yes. And that's great. Yeah,
1: it's called When Stars Are Scattered. So it's by Victoria Mm. Jameson and Omar Mohammed, And it's coming out April 14th, 2020.
0: That's wonderful. Yes. I've spent the week, or last week, I suppose... Uh, with the book yes. fair, which is something that I've done a lot of in my career mm-hmm. as a librarian. Uh, this was, we calculated, my 20th book fair. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I've been that's in a teaching lot. for 15 years. Mm-hmm. So, so, so um, you liked we've, it we've, too. We've, 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 <laughs> yeah, we've done a bunch. Yeah. We've done um, buy one, get one free book yeah. fairs uh, sometimes to kick off summer reading. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a great big scholastic book fair. I think that uh, I've spoken publicly about. Scholastic and book fairs in general, and how I think we have room to grow in, especially in the representation um, that we see on the shelves in book fairs. But I am grateful that uh, they provide access to children and access to books and good stories. And I spend the week book talking, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is a wonderful thing. And it was neat to see uh, so many new books by folks that you and I have talked to that I've interviewed on the children's book podcast. It's neat to sort of see shelves with my friends on. Them.
1: Yes, that must be so, so satisfying. Well, before yeah. we get on with our episode, let's bring to you our next sponsor. Owl Crate Jr. is an award-winning subscription book box for kids ages eight through 12. They understand that it's sometimes tough to get kids to pick up a book instead of turning on a screen, which is why every box is carefully put together to encourage curiosity, creativity, and imagination. Each box includes a brand new surprise hardcover novel, an exclusive letter from the author, a cool activity, game, or additional book, plus an assortment of fun goodies related to their theme of the month. Subscribe today and save 15% on your first order with code Riot. that's J-R-R-I-O-T, at OwlCrateJr.com www.OwlCrateJr.com And Matthew and I both received boxes from Junior. Yeah, we did. And I was so excited to get mine and um, I think Matthew and I are going to share what we got in our boxes because it was really awesome. We both got different boxes, which I thought was very cool. So Matthew- Yeah, I got the September yeah.
0: 2019 box Legends of the Deep. So, um, my box included, uh, my box included all the things that my nine-year-old son promptly said, Ooh, can I have that? Can I have that too? I was like, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the first thing that we unrolled was this amazing poster of an octopus battling a shark. It was super cool. Um, but it also included, um, Malamander, a novel that we've actually promoted a bunch on this podcast, um, through, through sponsorship, are through, um, yeah. Yeah, they sponsor ads yep. on the show. Mm-hmm. Right. It also included uh, a copy of one of the newest uh, Yeti Files books, Attack of the Kraken. Ooh, fun. There was a mermaid sticker that looked like a, a tattoo, which I was quite into. Uh-huh. And there was, <laughs> praise the Lord ever when there's a Harry Potter reference in anything for me. Uh-huh. So there was a Gillyweed tea. That's how. That when you drink it with this shark tea strainer, that um, <laughs> <Shark> <laughs> you'll, tea strainer. you'll grow gills. I That's thought, hilarious. This is the coolest thing. It's a Harry Potter tea strainer. So yeah, I was um, way into it. <laughs>
1: well, mine had okay. So mine was from August 2019. It's called. Thieves in the Night. The book that they had put in was The Good Thieves by Catherine Rendell, who wrote a book that I really loved called Rooftoppers, so I'm very excited, and it's like an exclusive signed edition, so uh, that's really fun. And um, a couple of other little goodies, a bookmark, Alcrate Jr. bookmark, um, some Robin Hood magnetic bookmarks. Um... A gemstone, like a green, it looks like sort of like it could be, um, what are green gemstones, I don't even know, not rubies, do you know what they are? Emeralds? emeralds? Yeah, emeralds, like really huge emeralds. You emerald. mean one of
0: those, one of those gemstones that a kid's going to see and be like, is this real?
1: Yeah, exactly, it's like
0: oh, yeah. a pound, it's so heavy. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, a little nopa. so super fun and um, the same thing happened with me, I opened this box My kids slowly started taking the stuff and hiding it in their room. And then when I was, I didn't know that they were doing that. And when I was getting closer to recording the episode, I opened the box and it was, like, empty. So I was like, uh, I sort of need the stuff so I can talk about it. And then they all went to their room and started looking for all the stuff that they had taken out of the box. So, anyways, very, very fun. Highly recommend and today, let's talk about what we're going to be talking about. And Matthew and I have wanted to cover this topic for a while, and we are talking about neurodiversity. So I did um, some research on neurodiversity just to see what the common definitions were, and. There is a national symposium on neurodiversity at Syracuse University, and they say that neurodiversity is a concept where neurological differences are to be recognized and respected as any other human variation. These differences can include those labeled with dyspraxia, dyslexia, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, dyscalculia. I don't know if I'm saying that right, autistic spectrum, Tourette syndrome, and others. So I found that very helpful, like a very helpful sort of definition um, as I explored this topic more.
0: Yeah, the term neurodiversity was coined in 1990, so it's still a relatively new term. I think it's just starting to make its way into education, at least from my experience. That wasn't, I've, I've been teaching since 1990, um, but that wasn't a term that I was readily familiar with until the past couple of years. Um, but certainly we in education are constantly looking to, um, to be inclusive, to, um, see the child and find how best to meet their learning needs Um, and being a neurotypical individual uh, who does not have these experiences, I think that that's something that I've reflected on throughout my career is trying to understand someone who processes or sees the world or thinks things in a different way than I do um, because that's a really hard, at least for me personally, that's a very challenging thing to understand. And yet in loving children, um, you want nothing but to, to be able to understand and support that child. Mm -hmm. There's, um, a lot of, a lot of the work that I've done in addition to, the professional development that we've received or, uh, having special educators talk to us or, uh, reading articles, doing that kind of professional development. Um, I've also done a lot of looking on YouTube because not only are there great, uh, videos about understanding neurodiversity, but there's also a great number of YouTubers who identify as autistic or um, autism, autism, autism spectrum and um, are inviting us in to ask questions, us, us being neurotypical folks, to ask questions and to understand. There's a person in particular that I had to Google her again or rather go searching for her name again because it'd been a number of years since i'd watched her videos and i was delighted to see the amethyst shaber still making videos um she has this uh vlog called ask an autistic um her blog is neuro wonderful but um in i think she's got 20 or 25 videos she just has a guiding question um what is stimming what doesn't mean to be autistic what uh, different questions like this that that you might ask and to hear her talk about it and talk through research and talk through her own experience uh is something that has been really helpful to me mm-hmm. preparing for this episode has been a really reflective time for me because i I think that that when we talk about needing diverse books to me this this is something neurodiversity and disability in particular, both of these things um, seem to be the ones that I feel get talked about last. We often talk about ethnic diversity, racial diversity, uh, religious diversity. Those are things, uh, um, identity diversity, um, sexual diversity, those things come up right at the top and they're hot button issues. Um, And I wonder why, why neurodiversity isn't. Um, and I wonder often, too, if it's that that some of these individuals um, need voices to advocate for them. Um, and so I, I really am preparing for this episode. I'm really feeling the weight of responsibility that we all have to make sure that these children are seen and that later the stories that you and I are going to share to make sure those stories are shared and are centered. In our libraries, in our story times, um, so that so that these children and their experiences can also be seen and centered.
1: Well, we are very pleased to have. A special guest with us, Alana K. Arnold, is the author of critically acclaimed and award-winning young adult novels and children's books, including the Prince Honor winner Damsel, the National Book Award finalist What Girls Are Made Of, and Global Read Aloud Selection, A A Boy Called Bat, and its sequels. Several of her books are junior library guild selections and have appeared on many best book lists, including the Amelia Bloomer Project, a catalog of feminist titles for young readers. Alana teaches at Hamline University's MFA in Writing for Children and Young Adults program and lives in Southern California with her family and menagerie of pets. Please welcome Alana. Hi, Alana. I'm so glad you're here with us on Kill it These Days. Thanks for joining us. Thank you
2: so much for inviting me. I was really excited to be asked.
1: Awesome. Well, Matthew and I love your book series um, about Mm -hmm. this young boy named Bat, and my kids also love the series so much. We just think it's so amazing, and we just had a few questions for you, and the first one is, what first got you interested in writing A Boy Called Bat, which features a young boy on the autism spectrum?
2: Well, I'm so glad that your kiddos enjoy the Bat books. That makes me really happy to hear. Um, So... A Boy Called Bat started, first of all, with um, the name uh, Bat. It occurred Mm -hmm. to me I wanted to write a character whose name uh, was made of initials. I have a brother whose name is Z Anton Kuczynski, but we call him Zach,
1: Uh which I
2: think is pretty cool, and that's how it's been all his life. And my job as a writer has always been to, like, notice things and then ask what if. So in this case, I said, well, what if I had a character whose name was initials, but instead of spelling, like, a, a regular kid's name they spelled... Bat. Um, and one of my lifelong interests and passions is animals. So I thought that sounded pretty great to me. Um, and then I started thinking about what kind of a kid would want to be called bat. Uh, it would have to be a kid who really loved animals, um, a kid who was passionate and really focused on animals. And that brought to mind, um, you know, neuroatypical kids, kids with autism who sometimes have uh, interests that um, become. Um, expansive and fill a lot of their time. And just those things together felt magical to me. The combination of a kid with autism who loves animals and has this quirky name um, was where I started with the story. Um, And from there, really it was a question of weaving together my own lived experiences, uh, interests that I'd had all my life, plus new interests that I explored as I got deeper into the project.
1: Mm -hmm. And, So tell us what BAT stands for, because I just love his name so much.
2: So BAT's name is Bixby Alexander Tam. And again, it started actually with my dad. His name was Alexander, and he had just died when I was coming up with this idea. And I wanted to honor my dad by including his name as a character's middle name. So I knew the middle initial would be an A. And Mm -hmm. then... um, what I didn't really think, and this is so great where the back of the brain does its work is I didn't remember that I had lived several years of my life in a neighborhood called Bixby Knolls. Uh Uh, I thought I knew Bixby up, you know, I didn't think Uh about it very much. Just Oh, that's his name. But I, I didn't realize it was hearkening back to a time in my life. Um, when I think my brother was probably actually about the age, um, that bat is, um, it was when we lived in that neighborhood. So that's probably where that came from. And that need to name, him bixby and then i had the b and the a and uh the t came i cuz it spelled bat and then i thought well what last name and i wanted to um acknowledge the fact that there's kids with autism all across the gender spectrum and all across all different races and so i didn't want to make my character uh entirely you know um the most common view that we have of kids with autism which is that they're white boys so mm-hmm. i decided that that was going to be um a kid with a chinese dad so that he would um, you know, widen our the visibility of of who has autism,
1: mm-hmm. and the, the parents are biracial, correct?
2: Yeah, the mom is white, um, and uh, her maiden name was Bixby. Was right. how I got uh-huh. it. Yes, and yeah, the dad. I is, love that. And thank you. Yeah, um, it's funny the things that you think about on purpose, and then the things that just really <laughs> watch up from, and then only with some distance and reflection can you sort of maybe pick apart where they came from.
1: That's so true. Sometimes. It's when I'm doing school visits and kids are asking a question, and you know, I'm thinking about it, and sometimes I have a standard answer, and sometimes the question is a little unexpected, and it makes me think a little bit more about why I had done that. And yeah, and then it sort of unearths a reason, just like your story about the name. Now, mm. I really loved Bat because he is just. He's such a sweet character, and I especially love the relationship that he has with his mom. And there are are various things that um, sort of pop out about him being on the autism spectrum, such as, you know, sometimes he doesn't pick up social cues or he has sort of like a logical... um, Way of seeing, like, this person is acting like this, which means that person must be thinking this, and I should respond that way. So, I really like that. And then, like, he really likes order sometimes when things are not um, what he expects, it makes mm-hmm. him upset. Um, so, I was wondering what type of research did you do to come up with that and sort of his personality as well as. Um, any characteristics that put him on the autism spectrum?
2: So for me, um, research is like, Everything when it comes to writing. And I think of research when I go to school visits, I ask kids to raise their hand if they like research. And usually about a third of them raise their hand. And then I say, now <laughs> raise your hand if you like watching baby animal videos on YouTube or playing with friends or meeting new people or watching movies or going outside. Uh-huh. And, then raise their hand. and I say, that you all love research because that to me, research is being curious and paying attention to what's outside of us and around us, but also what's inside of us. Mm-hmm. Um, all the time, and that's, I think, the most important part of being a writer, is being curious and being willing to poke and say, well, what else could I find out about that? So, as far as the research I did for BAT, I think it probably started when I was um, I don't know, probably 15 years ago um, when I started reading um, memoirs written by people with autism. Um, I read Look Me in the Eye by John Elder Robison. It really was kind of blew open my understanding of, of myself and also um, other people um, on the autism spectrum. Um, it was brilliant. I hope everybody reads it. Um, I read this book Born on a Blue Day by Daniel Tammet, um, who is an autistic young man living in, um, in England, in the UK. Um, so I think I'd had this interest. that um, was outward focused, but also inward focus because a lot of the things I read in those books, I found myself nodding and resonating, like "Oh, that was my experience too." So I just it was already an interest and a, a part of my understanding of the world and of of my place in it in various ways. And then when I decided to do this book specifically, I reread a lot of those books. Uh, I tried to read um, as many blogs as I could written by uh, people with autism, especially about their younger lives. I don't remember the names of all of them now because I wrote this. Book back in twenty fifteen, I think twenty fourteen, and I have a terrible memory. So I, I it's very <laughs> interesting to my in works. Like I become fascinated with a topic, and I learn everything I can about it, and then it washes away. Some of it uh-huh. sticks, but a lot of it, is, like, the details go away. And I'm a terribly disorganized person uh, too. So I don't have much of a paper trail often. Um, so that I did, it, but I did continue to do, and I continue to be fascinated by neuro atypicality and just brains in general, I think are fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did a ton of skunk research. Um, I didn't know anything about skunks before I started this book. So I had to learn a lot about baby skunks. Yeah. I really mean, um, like
1: your author's note mm-hmm. at the back with um, oh. the the research. Uh, <laughs> the, I just got a kick out of the name of, um, The institute that this character, um, which I guess is a real institute, right? The Dragoo Institute for the Betterment of Skunks and Skunk Reputations.
2: Oh my gosh, isn't that the best thing ever? (laughs) Sometimes your job as an author is to know when you can't make something up that's better than the real. And so when I discovered Dr. Jerry Dragoo and his institute, I reached out to him to ask him my specific questions because I couldn't find the answers to very specific things that I needed to know Like um, the difference between a skunk kit at two days old and three days old. And I really had this challenge of how would a veterinarian mother ever allow her son to hold an an animal that could have rabies, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I spent weeks researching that and came up with this rather convoluted explanation was that the mother skunk had been pregnant with her kits when she is hit by a car and someone brings her to the vet clinic, and she's injured. And the mother, the, you know, bat, Bat's mother, Doctor Tam, delivers the skunk kits and is unable to save the mother or any of the other kits. But there's one line. It all came down to one line in the book that says she was able to test the mother to make sure it doesn't have mm-hmm. rabies, and that means basically she had to cut the mother's brain out, right, and mm-hmm. study it because that's how you look for rabies. But I didn't say it. Of course, I didn't put that in the book. But I, it was very important to me that it would be accurate as to how she would really be a hundred percent sure that this baby skunk didn't have rabies.
1: Yeah. That's so interesting. <laughs> so I had,
2: yeah, it was really interesting. It was weeks of work and finally imagining. And finally, so I asked Dr. Dragu and he said, yes, that would work. It'd be a hundred percent. And I
1: and love so how he has like a cameo in the book too. <laughs>
2: yeah. I was like, well, that would do too, right? Bat would find an expert. Uh-huh, and so yeah. he does. And so I was thrilled that Dr. Dragu um, was willing to, um, to have a part. And then I met another skunk expert who makes a very brief appearance in the third book, also by mail. Um, his name is Dr. Theodore Stankowitch. Okay. Um, which is amazing. Yes. Um can't make that and up. especially if, Yeah, no you can't make especially if you realize that Theodore, if pronounced slightly differently, makes his name Dr. Theodor Stankowicz. <laughs> um so oh, yeah wow. life
1: is beautiful. <laughs> well one thing I I loved about um, well, it's, it's got me thinking what you just said about your research on the autism spectrum is the book you had read, Look Me in the Eye, because there's that beautiful mm-hmm. passage in the book mm-hmm. where Bat is noticing the skunk's um, eyes for the first time because it just first opens its eyes. And the mom is so surprised that he has noticed that because she's never he's never talked about eyes before. And she asks him, mm-hmm. like, what color are my eyes? And he says brown, right? Brown. And then mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and she yeah. says they're actually hazel. And they mm-hmm. spend some time looking at each other's eyes. It's just such a sweet moment. I think you really capture mm-hmm. the relationship very beautifully. Um. Okay,
2: can you? Yeah, oh, think, go ahead. Oh, don't, I just think it speaks to the idea that there's more than one way to derive meaning from a situation and sort of the neurotypical idea that eyes are meaningful because they're windows to the soul Mm. can be true for some people, but for someone else, eyes can be important because they're open for the first time and that's equally meaningful and beautiful and not less than, or, you know, I don't know, less magical than the way some people might interpret love in eyes that someone else just sees life in eyes is also beautiful.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so have you gotten any feedback from readers who have read your book um, that might be on the autism spectrum or parents or caretakers who might have read the book out loud to their child on the autism spectrum?
2: Yeah, yeah okay. it's been um, overwhelmingly wonderful, actually, the letters that I've gotten from um, parents and teachers and caretakers and kids and adults who see themselves or someone they love in bat. Um, one letter that I remember was from a teacher who had read a boy called bat to her class and a young boy in her class who she knew the parents had told her that he had been diagnosed as autistic, but the parents had not told the kid that he had an autism diagnosis. The kid came up to her after and asked if he could borrow the book to take home to his parents. And he took it home and he told them to read the book and he said, this is me. So he like Mm self-diagnosed yeah, as a kid with autism through seeing himself in bat. Um, I knew you were going to ask me this question. So I put together like just a few emails that I'd gotten from parents oh, and um, yeah, they're just really quite wonderful. Um, I have emails from parents who feel like they understand their children better, mm. uh, who are their artistic kids better after reading things from bats perspective. Um, I have a number of emails from parents who tell me that it's like I wrote their, you know, from their child's perspective, which is lovely. And also um, I like to remind readers that even if you see parallels between bat and someone you love with autism, that just because you've met one person with autism, that means that you've now met one person with autism and everybody on the spectrum is going to be different. So I certainly don't intend bat to be like, um, an explanation of autism writ large, you know, it's an explanation of Bixby, Alexander, Tam, yeah. um, so that's, but it's been really great to see all the ways kids um, and their parents and their grownups um, see reflections of, of each other or themselves in bat. Mm-hmm. It really, kind of blow my mind.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and so I know you know research is always happening, scientific research about various things, and neuroscience has been one of those topics that has been explored. I feel like there's always new information coming out. Has that influenced how you wrote the the subsequent bat books um, or changed ways that you, that you talk about the books? Or I know you do a lot of school visits. Yeah. Does that change how you do school visits?
2: I do love to do school visits and I do try to keep up on the science, but I especially try to keep up on what people with autism are saying about research and about their brains Mm -hmm. and about their experiences. And I try always to include in my school visits as much information as I can, um, about autism by autistic people, Mm -hmm. um, as well as including, you know, books that I, you know, encourage them to read that are written, uh, you know, by autistic people as well. And, um, Yeah, it is. The other thing we did is, is we had a sensitivity reader. We have, uh, we had a um, adult author with autism read the bat books and she did a wonderful job of of helping us be even more respectful and um, clear in our intentions with the book. Uh, And we were lucky enough to get the same person to read all three books. So we had that consistent. Yeah, Yeah, Uh we were really, really fortunate that she was willing to do that for us. Um, So yes, my school visits definitely include... um, some information about what I, you know, and as not as a scientist, but you know, the closest I can come to what the newest information is. And I try to give clear, explicit definitions of terms the best I can. I have had a couple of schools who have asked me to please come and talk about that, but only about the empathy and not about autism.
1: Really? Which
2: I, Yeah. I say no to that. That yeah. um, is a lot of things. And one of the things he is as a kid with autism and I'm very proud and, um, of of that. And it's really important to me to make sure that I, you know, I say that clearly.
1: Right. Wow. Interesting. Um, Okay. Well, I just have one last question for you. That's totally unrelated to the books, (laughs) but I noticed in your bio that you wrote that you have a menagerie of animals. So that's something we have Mm -hmm. in common because Mm -hmm. I love animals and we have a whole host of animals in our apartment. So tell us really quickly what kind of animals you have.
2: Well, it's a little bit more boring now than it used to be. (laughs) We've had had a fate of cats over the last few years, Uh, but currently we have um, two cats, one giant and furry and one small and hairless. Uh Okay. And two dogs, one a giantess and one a little tiny uh, terrier mix Uh and two California desert tortoises, and a gold-capped conure named Bird. Uh, So seven right now, which... I like to tell my children when we're working very on attrition. They very, yeah, they uh-huh. very crossly tell me that just means you're waiting for our animals to die, which I'm not actively hoping. You know, I love them. I want them to live a long time, but I'm trying not to bring any new animals uh, into the family at this point. So we've gone from 13 down to seven over the past uh, five years or so. So okay. it's been a lot of sad goodbyes, but
1: <laughs> yes, I understand.
2: seven is a much better number than <laughs> How
1: many do you have? Well, I thought I had a lot, but we only have
2: five. So that's. But you live in an apartment in, in the city, so I bet per square foot you have more pets than I do. That well,
1: might be true, and my husband is, I'm sure is. He's all on board with the attrition idea. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, he's like, uh, I don't know why we keep acquiring these new animals, but yeah. no problem. Anyways, well, thank you so much for coming on. We just love your books, and we're so glad you could take the time to be on here with us and keep on writing. We can't wait to read what you have in store next
2: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. My next book is called The House That Wasn't There and it's coming out next year in 2021. And I guess it's it's right after next year. And it's a middle grade. It's really, I think it's for people who love the bat books because it is very gentle. So I like to think of it as a gently magical exploration of the spaces between people and the mysterious interconnections that bind them. And there's Feline teleportation oh. and school research projects, and even a taxidermy to possum named Mort. Oh, awesome. So, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty. I, I love it. I think it's pretty oh, exciting and wait. fun.
1: That sounds amazing. I,
2: I, yeah, I think people who loved Bat will love this book too. It's um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Lots of animals. Awesome.
1: Well, I will be looking for that.
2: <laughs> All right. and i, I You're having me on. Thank you so much for reaching out to me. It means a lot to me to be able to connect with readers. Okay. Yeah.
1: About that, especially. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Alana.
0: Thank you. This episode is brought to you by "Naked Mole Rat Saves the World" by Karen Rivers, new from Algonquin Young Readers. Kit has a really big, strange secret. Sometimes, without warning, she turns into a naked mole rat. Kit can't tell her best friend, obviously. Poor Clem, in this case. Clem is her best friend, because Clem hasn't been acting like herself after she was hurt in an accident. She's mad and gloomy and keeping a secret of her own. Kit and Clem, they still haven't figured out how to deal with all the ways they have changed inside and out. Somehow, though, Kit has to save the day. But turning into a naked mole rat isn't a superpower, is it? You'll have to find out, readers, by reading Naked Mole Rat Saves the World by Karen Rivers. I just love that title. (laughs) (laughs) We've Googled many a naked mole rat. We also have them at the National Zoo. Yes. Um, So my children have really loved those those perilous wonders. Yeah,
1: those clear (laughs) tubes.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. So we've come to that point in our conversation, Karina, where it's time to do some book talking. Um, you and I spent, I think, a good bit of time um, looking at what books are centering uh, neurodiversity through own voices, or um, or or through uh, voices that that seek to be authentic and. and and really center children, Uh, why don't you start us off with a picture book, if you don't mind? Yes.
1: So actually, I'm going to do a pairing, because one of the books that came to mind immediately was a middle grade book called A Mango-Shaped Space by Wendy Mass. And that's about a 13-year-old girl, uh, Mia Winchell, and she has a condition called synesthesia, which is The mingling of perceptions where a person can see sounds, smell colors, or taste shapes. So I was thinking about that book. Um, in relationship to our topic And that brought to mind a different book That had just come out Called The Many Colors of Harpreet Singh By Supriya Kelker Illustrated by Aaliyah Marley And I just love this picture book so, so much It's about this boy named Harpreet Singh And he has a different color for every mood and occasion So pink for dancing And red for courage And he especially shows these colors um, When he wears his paka Which is the term the he wears and he always makes sure that you know the color matches with his mood but then they the family ends up moving and they go to a really snowy cold city and Harpreet has a really hard time with that move and the new climate and the new school and so this story sort of carries you out through um what he goes through. Anyways, I love this book and thinking about that connection to color and thinking about A Mango-Shaped Space by Winnie Mass, it really felt like something I wanted to share um, as one of the books or two of the books.
0: I look forward to reading that book. I've seen the cover around. It's, I think, a very um, memorable cover because it's such a brightly covered, a brightly colored book. And um, so I can't wait to see that. The, the book or the pairing maybe that I want to start off with sharing too um, is a new series called Little Senses. Uh, and the first book is called This Beach is Loud. The second picture book is called Nope, Never, Not For Me. They're by Samantha Cotterill. Uh, she is an own voices author. She uh, has Asperger's. And in these stories, they're about sensory experiences. So children with autism or sensory disorders um I think will will see themselves in these books or parents reading these books to them. Uh The Beach is Loud is about preparing to go to the beach uh and uh making sure we have everything ready and by the time they get there uh they're overwhelmed. The child is overwhelmed by the sound of the waves and and really everything that goes on at the beach. Nope, Never, Not For Me is about a child trying a new food that, you know, squishy too green, slimy (laughs) food that is broccoli. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And um, how an adult works, or how a mom in this case works with the child to to try to taste that new food by exploring it. Mm. Uh, I think that these are books that that work for all children, but in particular the way that they center the sensory needs Mm -hmm. was something that I found beneficial for for all readers, but really neat that that they were centering those children as well. Great. So
1: my next pick is a middle grade book. It's called My Life as an Ice Cream Sandwich by Ibi Zaboye and this is about a 12 year old girl named ebony grace norfleet and she has lived with her grandfather in alabama since she was little and her grandfather has worked at nasa and was as one of the first black engineers and really nurtured ebony grace's love of outer space and science fiction especially star wars and star trek so in the 1980s it's decided that Ebony has to go live with her father in Harlem for a few weeks, and she goes there. And I like this book because it's not explicitly said that Ebony Grace is neurodiverse, but the way that she processes information is something that I think is very unique, and she often goes into this place in her imagination where she goes on these sort of high science fiction adventures, and the book is sprinkled with panels of of comics where she's sort of experiencing um, sort of these adventures that she's having in her imagination in space. So I really like this book because it's the voice is very unique, and I think it really shows that she is, experiencing the things around her in a special and different way. And that's okay because that is something that is, you know, should be celebrated and she has this ability to share. The author has this ability to share through that lens in a really interesting and in great way. So highly recommend.
0: Wonderful. The next picture book I want to share is, uh, a picture book that I think turns neurodiversity on its head. It's called Why Do- Why Johnny Doesn't Flap by Clay Morton and Gail Morton. It's illustrated by Alex Mary. Um, this book is told from the perspective of a neurodiverse boy who can't understand why his neurotypical friend Johnny is different <laughs> because Johnny is never quite on time And he speaks in the weirdest idioms and he can't possibly stick to a routine. It's a a book about what we perceive as quote unquote normal and how normal is subjective to the individual. Mm -hmm. Um, I found it to be a, a beautiful, powerful book to share with my readers and one that, you you just read it and it causes them to I mean my children just like lean forward listening to the this book because it's so different the experience and and that makes it so important mm-hmm. so um highly highly recommend it <laughs> I'm smiling thinking of <laughs> reading it to my class again awesome good stuff good stuff
1: So the next book I wanted to talk about is one that I haven't read myself yet but it was something that came um, up over and over again when I was doing research. And it's called The Reason I Jump by Naoki Higashida, translated by K.A. Yoshida. And it caught my eye too because John Stewart of The Daily Show said it is one of the most remarkable books I've ever read it's truly moving eye opening incredibly vivid so I was like oh that's interesting so I looked it up more and it's written by a 13 year old boy with autism and it's one of it's a memoir that is interesting because apparently when he was writing it, he used an alphabet grid to construct word sentences and thoughts that he was unable to speak out loud. And then he also sort of answered questions throughout the book that people were asking about, like, why do people with autism talk so loudly? Or why do you line up your toy cars and blocks? Why don't you make I can't Eye contact when you're talking, and so I thought that was really interesting, and to hear from his perspective as a young person, and I really I have that book on hold at the library, and I'm looking forward to reading it.
0: Oh yay! I have a book that uh, was shared to me by um, by an illustrator or by an author, I should say. Um, And it was one that, you know, sometimes school starts and life gets busy and you don't get to read a book right Mm -hmm. away. And then you read it and then you just kind of never forget Mm -hmm. it. And this is a book that when we were starting this episode, uh, when we were um, thinking about this episode, I thought of this book right away and that's called My Brother Otto. It's by Reg, uh, by Meg Raby and illustrated by Alyssa Palmer. Um, and in this book, there are two crows, uh, Piper, And her younger brother, Otto, and Otto's on the autism spectrum. And he has this unique way of exploring the world and, um, has an affinity for the color yellow and loves his yellow pipe cleaner and spinning around and around and around holding this pipe cleaner. Um, we see the world through Piper's perspective, but we also experience it through her deep love and understanding of her brother. Mm and almost her not delight or amusement that feels trivial when I say it that way but she takes note of everyone else noticing Otto Uh, they go to a library story time and he's plugging and unplugging his ears and there's a scene in it where she's like I bet people think that Otto's not actually listening Um, but I like to picture him imagining that he's um, you know an astronaut or this or that because he's when he's doing this he's he's self-soothing he's you know, manipulating the sound. Um, It's a beautiful way to engage children in the way we, we approach everyday experiences and how people might experience those things differently. Mm -hmm. It's also a great representation of, of kindness in siblings and in family and the way we look out for one another. So uh, it's a good one, a good one. It's a keeper. It's called my brother, Otto. And I love that it, that it works so well when I read it to my four-year-old. Love so it. to get something across yeah. to someone so young, it's just, I mean, I'm a fan.
1: Awesome. <laughs> All right, so my next book is a middle grade book. It's called See You in the Cosmos by Jack Chang. And I love this book so much. I've read it so many times. My kids have read it. Uh, we've listened to it on audio, which I think is probably the best way to, to read this book. And there's a lot of connections to my life as an ice cream sandwich. Because like um, the book by Ibi, this one, it never explicitly says that the narrator is neurodiverse. But there are sort of clues in the way that he interacts with people or processes information or speaks that... um, there's something a little bit different about him. So it's about 11-year-old Alex Petrosky, and he loves space and robots. In the very first chapter, he is has all of his rocket stuff, and he puts it all in a wagon, and he says goodbye to his mom, who's um, there, like sleeping in her room, and he goes out with his dog, Carl, And goes and is like set off on a journey to go to this rocket launch competition by himself. And you learn along the way what's going on with his family. But it's just a really beautiful story. And I loved his voice in the story and the relationships that he makes. It's very, very beautiful. So highly recommend this book. It's just really fantastic.
0: Oh, Karina, whenever you talk about good middle grade, I'm always like, this is going to be 300 pages
1: of my life. (laughs) Well, it's going to be such a good book for you because it's. It's going to be so
0: good. I know. It's perfect on audio
1: because it's actually um, audio clips. Like, the book is just. The whole thing is audio clips that he's narrating into an iPod. So, it's perfect for audio books. And. You're just going to love it. You go, you have to put you, it on your list.
0: You know, you know my affinity for audiobooks. Yes. <laughs> that is a sure thing. All right. Uh, we're getting close to wrapping up. So I want to just um, share out two more books. And then I've got a third that I know is going to tie into one of the books you yes. want to share. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the two I want to share um, are Benji, The Bad Day, and Me by Sally J. Pia, and illustrated um, by Ken Min this is a story of a brother Sammy who's having a bad day uh, when he gets home he sees uh, his younger brother Benji who is autistic and when Benji has a bad day he goes into this cozy play box and Benji in this case um, comforts his, his older brother Sammy and it's a sibling story and a way uh, a demonstration of how we look out for each other I love mm. that. And A Friend for Henry by Jen Bailey and illustrated by Mika Song, who I love everything yes, that Mika Song does. So perfect. Um so, so beautiful and understated. Um it's it's a story, it's a school story of a young child, Henry, searching for a friend in classroom six. But Henry's on the autism spectrum, and school gets to be too too close, too loud, too, too much, and, um, trying to find that space and, and that child in class that will see Henry, uh, makes me want to cry as I recount this Mm -hmm. book, because it's, it's one of those powerful, powerful picture books that, uh, I think really can show adults as well, that through a few simple acts, we can really see each other.
1: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, the author of Benji, The Bad Day, and Me also wrote another fantastic book for middle grade readers called The Someday Birds, and I just love this book so much. First of all, the cover is so beautiful, and it's about Charlie, who, um, his life is very structured. He really likes structure, and then his father is injured in Afghanistan, um where he is a journalist, a war journalist. So his father has to go to Virginia for medical treatment from California, where they live. And his family, like his... um, So Charlie and his sister and his brothers, they all decide to get in the van and drive across country to, to see their father and see how he's doing. And Charlie's really ordered life really gets turned upside down as he's, um, has to cope with a lot of new and different things. And it also reminds him of this thing that him and his father were going to do, which is find, um, birds along the way, like spot certain birds, which is where the title comes from. And it's just a great family story and... I think Sally does such a wonderful job when she's talking
0: about I was say, neurodiverse, and it's Sally Platt. Yeah, and I didn't even connect that it's the same person. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well done. She's, that cover of Someday Birds is gorgeous. Too. She's so
1: great, and she has another middle grade book, um, which is called Stanley Will Probably Be Fine, which also fits in with this topic, but we don't have time to talk about it. Oh, but yeah? it's really excellent. So.
0: We'll Definitely, add to the yeah. Show notes. Check yeah. it. Too.
1: Yeah, check out both of them and her picture book. Um, and then you, so, you well, and I we, both and have a book. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So say. you do the picture book, <laughs> and then I'll do the middle grade.
0: I, I I can just throw out the name of the picture book and let you run with the middle grade. Um, we want to talk about Temple Grandin, and there's been a couple of great picture books that came out um, about her life and about her work. But for me, one of um, the most beautiful ones is called "How to Build a Hug." Temple Granin and Her Amazing Squeeze Machine. It's by Amy uh, Guglielmo and Jacqueline Torville. It's illustrated by Giselle Potter. Uh, it's a wonderful story of an invention um, that helped the inventor as well as the, the, the farming industry.
1: Yes, yeah. and then for older readers, middle grade readers... There's another book called Temple Grandin, How the Girl Who Loved Cows Embraced Autism and Changed the World by Sae Montgomery and Temple Grandin. So Sae Montgomery is one of my favorite authors. She does a lot of um, nonfiction about animals and places in the world and she really was captivated by Temple and her story so this one is really great too if you're looking for something that's more of a biography and there's lots of photos in there and uh, it's great for readers who are ready for a more sophisticated a nuanced view of her life and I think Cy Montgomery does a great job sort of capturing Temple's spirit and all the wonderful things she's done in her life well we have more books but I don't think we have time so we're going to have to wrap it up should we just say up. them
0: and include them in the show notes? yes, okay, so let me why don't we just say them?
1: okay, so um, for for ADHD Um, There are quite a few books that feature characters of ADHD, and one of the ones that came to my mind was Joey Pigza Swallow the Key by Jack Gantos. And then for Tourette's Syndrome, there is a wonderful character in Dusty Bowling's book, Insignificant Events in the Life of a Cactus, and um, one of the characters has Tourette's, and that I feel like that really helped me understand a lot about Tourette's Syndrome and that was a really wonderful book in general so check those out and yeah great okay so we have to wrap it up because we are running out of time so thanks for joining us today as always we would love your feedback on this podcast and always appreciate a rating on apple podcasts when you do that you also help other people find us you can find me karina yan glazer on twitter at karina yan glazer and on instagram at karina is reading and writing
0: and you can find me matthew winner on twitter at matthew winner If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you'd like to hear on the show next. And until then, may your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep on coming.